You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. Anybody know who Willie Lynch was? Anybody? Raise your hand. He was a vicious slave owner in the West Indies. The slave masters in the colony of Virginia were having trouble controlling their slaves, so they sent for Mr. Lynch to teach them his methods. Keep the slave physically strong, but psychologically weak and dependent on the slave master. Keep the body, take the mind. I and every other professor on this campus are here to help you to find, take back, and keep your righteous mind. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross, and welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligent radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning, Latrice. Thank you for being in the saddle with me once again with return of Intelligent Radio as we actually took a vacation last Saturday. Uh, we rarely um, put the, the show on, on vacation, if you will, so we're actually returning as we missed last Saturdays. And so hopefully we didn't break everybody's, um, you know, hopefully ritual of tuning in every Saturday, but we thank you for coming back with me as we get into this morning's discussion. How are you doing this morning, Queen? I'm great. How are you? Yes, so uh, we do have a special guest lined up and trying to reach up, reach out to uh, Shelly Winters, who's been on the show plenty of times, so hopefully we'll get him on for this morning's discussion. But again, uh, we are back after missing a Saturday, and so again, hoping y'all are out there and ready to get hot and heavy into a what I consider a very critical topic, uh, not a widespread, well-known topic, but it is being debated on a lot of the internet and um, shows and political shows. And so we had to add our three cents to the situation hoping that we can go a little more in depth than, than what you may have captured um, out there in the media. And this morning's discussion question is, what is critical race theory and why should it matter? What is critical race theory and why should it matter? Um, in the mental dialogue show, we always kind of pride ourselves in being able to have the hard conversations on race, sex, and cultural issues. And so clearly we had to touch this one. And again, um, hoping that we may get our special guest, um, Shelly Winters, on. And I highlight that because our goal with all of these discussions are to basically have different and varied perspectives on on these situations. And unfortunately, and I, and I do mean unfortunately, but the critical race theory, which has been around since the 70s, has now become a hot topic debated on across political lines. There have become two sides of this situation. And so, as usual, our goal is to have, in a sense, guests who are on, if you will, on both sides of the issue. And so, um, if unfortunately, if I'm not unable to get Shelly, we may not get both sides of it, but hopefully some people out there listening uh, will be able, willing to pipe in and give us their perspectives, because, again, we do welcome all opinions. Uh, we don't tell you what to think. We just ask that you do think. And so we wanted to have a critical discussion 
because um, I will say this, um, Latrice, and I'll let you give you know your thoughts on the matter as well. Uh, but as I've listened to what's happening in the media again with a theory that's existed from what I can tell since the 70s, um, you know, just having obviously having to research the, the topic myself this week, um, the political um, narratives that I'm seeing lack in critical thinking. And so, again, we like to pride ourselves in being able to do that on this show. And so that was the discussion that I was wanting to have, if you will, from both sides of the aisle to see if an attempt to have a critical discussion, because in my opinion, that's what's been lacking from the mainstream media um, discourse on this subject. So if you will, Queen, uh, we'll start like we always do. And they, like I say, we, you know, we can rock this out for the next couple of hours between you and I, but hoping we get those different perspectives. Um, but with that said, let's start with the way that we typically do. When you heard the actual question worded the way that it was worded, what is critical race theory and why should it matter? Can you tell me your first initial thought? Hello, Queen. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. I was on mute. I'm sorry. Um, I try to mute when I'm not speaking, so I don't give any back. No, no, no problem. But when I, initially, when I initially heard it, I was like, oh, I'm in. And I actually think I may have verbalized that um, because mm-hmm. for the very same reason that, that you said that what's missing is the critical thinking component. And so many people are going on, on, come, going on in onto newscasts doing interviews, and they can't even define what it is that they're for or against. They just know that they're against it, and um, they don't know why, but it's wrong. And then they've created these silly narratives that, in fact, have nothing to do with critical race theory. Um, they politicize something that, quite frankly, um, while there is a, you know, it's historical, so there is typically a, a political component to many of the historical things that, that we know about, but it's something that, um, it's something that we need to discuss, and it doesn't need to be whitewashed or swept under the rug. Now, thank you for those thoughts. I just got our special guest, Shelly Winter. He's actually on the show again, a returning guest of the show. Thank you, Shelly, for always making yourself available. Um, you are the co-host of Word on the Street, 95.5 WSB, a uh, show that I love to listen to. So thank you for, in a sense, lending your your um, talk show talent um, to the Mental Dialogue talk show. And as I was sharing, um, that, you know, thanks again for getting on. I was sharing with the audience, we like to deal with all discussions from both sides of it. So if you will, King, um, give, you know, a little more of your background, if you will, and let's get into this morning's discussion question, which is what is critical race theory and why should it matter? So give your background and just give me your first or just only your initial thought without going too deep uh, when you first heard the question worded the way that it was. Thanks again for being on with the show. Uh, thanks, Montoya. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I like most things. Well, first of all, my name is Shelley Winter. Thank you for having me, Montoya. And it's good to be talking to my sister, uh, Therese. Um, uh, I am on Monday through Friday. We have a show Monday through Friday uh, on 95.5 WSB radio, number one news and talk station in the country. Um, and uh, we're on 9 to midnight every Monday through Friday. So please check us out not political it's not anything it's just talking um but so thank you um my thing is um as many of my opinions are there's no it's very nuanced 
when it comes to what's going on. I believe my strong opinion is that Democrats and Republicans are using this for their own narratives. Um, and I think that by putting us in either one or the other camp, we're missing the nuance to this entire conversation. And, and I think that's really, for me personally, that really is the most criminal thing that's going on, um, is that we're being forced to decide one or the other, do we or don't we, with, without having the nuanced conversation about what it, what this thing really is. Now, when you ask what is critical race theory, um, you, it really is a long answer, um, but is it, are we talking about critical theory from the Frankfurt School back in the 1920s? Are we talking about critical race theory as it was developed and formulated by Derek Bell at all in the mid-'70s? Um, or is it where we are now tied to the 1619 Project? So when you ask what is critical race theory, I think you have to first establish what are we talking about and what frame of re what, where are we specifically talking about, or are we using it all together to come to a place that we're at now? Um, and I think that's really one of the most important things to discuss. Now, I agree with you. Um, great um, context. And like you said, where are we, what is the framework that we're working under? I will say, uh, again, with this kind of, coming as an uproar, having to do some research this week, um, as I mentioned to Latrice. I think I'm more focused on the Derrick Bell 70s um, because, of, again, using the entire term critical race theory. But like you said, throughout the dialogue, throughout the mainstream media, you've kind of seen it mesh between all three of those up until the current times. So, our, you know, we may delve between it as well, but I will say to a degree, foundationally, I want to do the nuance from the 70s period because, again, that's a fair question to give some context of where we'll be going today. We are up against our first initial break. When we come back, we'll get hot and heavy into this morning's discussion. What is critical race theory and why should it matter? All I ask is that you think. We'll be right back. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways, every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. So if the Republican bills mention the words race, racism, sexism, et cetera, does that mean that we're not going to be allowed to teach about race in this country? How can you possibly teach the history of America without mentioning race? It's, as uh, Rashad just pointed out, it's in the founding documents. And get a load of the irony of the guys who said we should not take down the Confederate statues because we'd be erasing history. Now passing legislation to literally erase history from the textbooks. So it's, when you're celebrating Confederate generals, all of a sudden you want to celebrate that portion of history. But when you want to talk about what actually happened in this country about race, and yes, racism, all of a sudden you don't want to celebrate history. And all of a sudden you're looking to cancel certain portions of history because you find it inconvenient. So let's just acknowledge that right out of the gate. Yeah. 
There's growing backlash tonight against what critics call the indoctrination of public school students in an anti-white curriculum. It has to do with the teaching of what is called critical race theory. Critical race theory teaches people and our children to judge one another not based on the content of their character, but solely on the color of their skin. It would have our children growing up hating this country and hating one another. It teaches more or less that America is inherently racist, stating more or less that, that if you're born white, you are necessarily racist. Essentially, every white person should apologize for being white and what happened 200 plus years ago. We are tired of the continual drumbeat of our educational system as you use the program of our kids, to, to program our kids into thinking that America is a country of hate and division. Just because I do not want critical race theory taught to my children in school does not mean that I'm a racist, damn it. Welcome back to Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross and our special guest, Shelly Winters, as we discuss what is critical race theory and why should it matter, as you hear two different cuts, one from the Young Turks and Rashad Richie's new show, Indisputable, uh, and as well as another cut. Basically, you're hearing both sides, as Shelly highlighted prior to the break, uh, both sides given their perspective on critical race theory has been, in a sense, moved to the forefront and become this uh, political issue that I don't know has necessarily grabbed the entire country's attention, but it is absolutely being discussed within a from a political um, standpoint. And um, Shelly, I'll actually start with you as a special guest. Um, again, you've already highlighted, in your opinion, both sides are, in your opinion, being criminal with their perspective. And I would just say our ultimate goal today, and again, thank you for being with us, is to try to have the nuanced discussion that is very hard to do within a 10, 15, even 20-minute, 30-minute segment on TV. So we have a little longer with it. So hopefully we can do what they are not doing. So I'll just kind of let you, um, you know, jump in after hearing both of those cuts. Go ahead, King. Right, right. So it, it plays to my point. So the white guy who you started with, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say white guy. I don't know if he's white or black. But the guy you started with, the first thing, very great soundbite, very, you know, sound logic. Oh, you don't want to take away Confederate flags, but you don't want to teach race. Well, we've always taught race and racism in this country. We, we always have. Like no one's ever not taught about the Birmingham bombing, the civil rights movement, slavery. No one's ever not taught that. So the idea that people are saying they don't want that taught in their schools when it's always been taught in schools is a lie. It's a blatant lie, and it's a, it's a fabrication. The flip side to that is people that are talking about the critical race theory being taught in schools, I'm not sure that that is even being discussed in any large context of the theory being taught in middle schools. Now, we do know that as things start, for instance, years ago, there was a vote in California to make same-sex marriage equal, uh, um, legal, right? And people said, well, this is just about marriage. It's about people in love. Well, skip ahead less than 20 years later, and we have 47 genders. So we do know that something can start at one point and gravitate to another point. So I think both sides, uh, I just lean more on the side of the people saying they don't want it taught in schools as, as, it's, as it's originally framed to do. Now, back to Derek Bell. 
I'm a huge fan of Derrick Bell. I think one of the most important books ever written in the history of this country is Faces at the Bottom of the Well. If you've never heard of it, you've never read it, please read it. Um, Bell and those and his group in the 70s came up with this. They were talking about the laws. And what they were saying was the civil rights movement was passed, uh, equal rights was passed, voting rights were passed, but yet and still people were not uh, basically adhering to the law. And so what they were arguing was they weren't adhering to the law because race and racism was preventing these laws from being implemented in a practical standpoint. That is a fair and just argument to make in an academic setting at the graduate and undergraduate levels of college. But skip ahead to where we are now, that has gravitated to the 1619 Project and a course curriculum based on and developed by the authors of the 1619 Project, which teaches that America, as its foundational standpoint, is a racist country. I think that's very dangerous to do because you're going to, you're, you're talking about just the warts and not the glories. You're talking about just the bad and not the good. Because clearly, if America was founded on a racist premise, which can be argued, yes, and yes, it was, we've moved quite far from that standpoint. So if you're going to teach one without a context with the other, then I think it does become a very dangerous proposition to teach a generation of kids that because they'll only grow up to resent the country in which they live. Latrice, um, your thoughts? Um, sure. So I actually partially agree with, with Shelley. Um, I, critical race theory, as it's taught in law school, is not something that's taught to middle school students or elementary school students or even high school students. Um, what's what's being attacked in their, under the guise of critical race theory is culturally relevant teaching, which that emerged in the 1990s. And that's what's really being attacked under the, under the awning of critical race theory. And I think that, um, I, I don't think that um, this, that it should, anyone should be taught to hate who you are to think that because you are a certain way that you are inherently something that you may not be. However, we have to acknowledge the things that have gone on in this country historically, and we have to acknowledge the things that are systemically still in place in this country. Um, when we look at um, what's unfolded over the last year and a half, we see that we as a country still have a lot of issues to work out from a racial perspective. When we look at the anti-Asian hatred that we see going on, when we look at the killing of black people by unarmed black people by police, when we look at voter suppression, um, these are things that, while they should not be taught in school, are indicative of systemic racism, something that needs to be addressed. And we can't just whitewash history simply because it's inconvenient and uncomfortable. So I think that what we see, we see a lot of politicians playing to their constituency, not knowing what they're talking about, 
and creating a lot of hope law over something that should not be. Simply because, as Shelly said, we've always taught, not necessarily always accurately, and definitely not necessarily completely, but we've taught about some aspects about the, the, the dark part of our history. And it's important that we continue to do that. Over the last two weeks, I've held listening sessions to address um, for Canadian colleagues that I work with with regard to the, um, 200, the mass grave found of 215 Indigenous youth at one of the, the residential schools in Canada. And one, one of the continuing themes of the Canadian colleagues that were on this listening session was, we never learned about this. Why didn't we know about this? Why, when we were in school, did we not know about this dark part in Canadian history? And what they felt was a sense of shame for being Canadian because they weren't taught. It's important that we teach the real history in such a way that neither side feels superior or inferior to the other. But we should not dismiss it. We should not whitewash it. We should confront it, teach it as it happens, and work <coughs> to build cohesively together. Now, good stuff. Um, before I go to the callers, we've got several callers out there. If you're on the line, you do have to press one if you're trying to get in on this morning's discussion. Um, quick question, Shelly. You said um, the 1619 projects to a degree would teach the warts and not the good. Um, what would you say to me, um, from my perspective, I think you know me, you know, to a degree, loving history, somewhat of a, you know, novice historian, if you will, obviously, uh, you know, not like some of the historians I've had on the show, so I don't compare myself to people who actually do the work and teach it. Um, but, you know, just being someone who loves history, um, what would you say to somebody like myself who says, well, the reality, in my opinion, is we, we kind of teach history in a way where we don't teach the wars. It, the warts, if you will. So I think that's kind of currently where we stand. Um, I would hope to have a nuanced conversation where if we, if we could avoid the political divide, obviously we can't at this point because that's what's being discoursed. But ideally, we would come to a balancing act to where we would include more of, the, the, in a sense, the actual history because there are plenty of Americans who, who are not aware of a, a, a lot of things. Like even when I was doing this research, there's like seven states that don't even mention slavery in their textbooks um, currently in the country because of how textbooks are done and that kind of thing. There, I mean, that's just one example, and there are other. I don't want to overstate those, but unfortunately, I would say to a degree, we, we do history in a way that doesn't teach um, enough of the warts, if you will. And again, I'm not trying to have them teach the warts in a way that we hate ourselves or resent the country, but just in a meaningful way so that we have a better well, understanding of how to live un in unity, if you will. What are your thoughts to that, Shelly? Well, my thoughts are that then, um, then how much time do you have in a school day, in a school curriculum, to teach the context of the warts. I'll give you a perfect example. When I learned about the potato famine, and I'm purposefully using an Irish potato famine because this has to do with white people. When I learned about the potato famine and the great potato famine in Ireland and what prompted the massive immigration from Ireland to the U.S. by the Irish in the 1800s, um, I learned that it was a drought that caused this potato famine, a completely natural occurring event that caused this potato, this drought, I mean, this uh, potato famine. And, and hundreds of thousands of people died, which prompted people to leave Ireland and come to the U.S. Well, 
the context that I did not learn was how the British forced the Irish to give them the good potatoes. So when the Irish farmers would farm the very few potatoes that were coming out of the ground, they were forced by the British who controlled Ireland at the time to give the British the good potato, uh, potatoes, which prompted more, more deaths and more famine. I didn't learn that part. I didn't learn that context, right? So the point I'm trying to make, and I purposely use white people as an example, is that history, as it's taught in a country, is going to be always the positive, uh, in, I mean, uh, uh, a concentration on the positive. The same way in which we celebrate, say, and I'm not denigrating anybody, but the same way in which we celebrate Martin Luther King, but we leave out the negatives. We leave, we, we leave out the infidelity. We leave out the others, right? So, so you know, civil, uh, Black History Month was started in the 30s. We celebrate that. We cheer about it. We talk about it. But we never talk about the fact that the, 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 uh, the, the double dealing and the, uh, the negative aspect of the movement. We never talk about it. We only talk about it in the standpoint of all of these people were great. They had no flaws. They had no warts. They weren't humans, and they were just super beings that came upon us and changed history. So if you want context in history, you have to go to extra yard. You're not going to get taught it in schools because you have to have a cohesion in a country to keep a country together, and that's throughout the world throughout the world um, that, that goes on. The Chinese do not teach their students that Mao killed, killed tens of millions of their own people, in many cases their own family members. They don't teach that. Why? Because no one wants for people to be walking around questioning their, legit, I mean, their allegiance to the country in which they live because a country will not be able to survive. Now, so if you want context to history, you're going to have to extend it, the, the current school day to 15 hours a day if you're going to teach all of this context that you want taught because you weren't taught it in school. To Latrice's point about the Canadians, the Canadians left that out of their history. The Indians certainly knew that part of their history. The Indians, the Native Americans, excuse me, um, certainly knew about the schools that they were sent to to be more homogenized into white society. The Indians complained about that all the time. So it, it, it's not like no one knew this part of history. The white Canadians weren't taught it. And I would go to say if you're a professor at a university level in Canada and you did not know this, that's on you because you're relying on the state to teach you everything you need to know without doing further research to find out the rest. So I would, if someone white told me, oh, I'm from Canada, and I never knew this history, I'd say, well, what kind of professor are you? You only know what they taught you? That's crazy to me. So, um, so yeah, I, I didn't say that they were college the professors. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go to the I, I didn't say here. that they I'll, were I'll, college. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 no doubt. Yeah, she was just saying that the average citizen. And so, um, yeah, I don't think, um, again, good thoughts, and I absolutely agree. Again, we think about the even the base word of history, his story. Um, you're absolutely right. I, I think about that again, being someone who loves history. I absolutely understand that the, the bridge that, that, that all groups and all people in all countries want to make with their history is to give a sense of here's where we came from, here's what we've done, so that you, in a sense, can go forward psychologically knowing, hey, We've, we've come from this, be proud of this, and you can do something too. So that is the context for why all cultures pass down history, whether orally, 
are, you know, written, and you're absolutely right, his story is going to be told in that way. So I don't disagree with that at all. Um, but the, my little, my slight button, we're going to go to the caller, is that unfortunately, when I, as I, for example, when I pointed out the seven states in the United States that don't teach slavery, for example, in their current public school situation, in that sense, I'm just talking about even the teaching of the idea, not the further in context, because I do agree with you, Shelley, that when you want to get context, I got most of my historical context from history classes that I took you know, in college and things of that nature. And it makes sense that that's where you would go deeper and get context or, as you said, on your own. So I don't disagree with that. Um, however, sometimes we're glazing over even just the basics that do matter to the foundation, in my opinion, from time to time. Let's go to Brother Pianchi out of St. Louis. Go ahead, Brother Pianchi. You got about a minute before a break. You know, I can keep you on if I have to. But go ahead, King. Well, I'm against critical race theory being taught arbitrary. I emailed you a copy of Missouri State Statutes where it says the curriculum, textbooks, and other instructional materials should be used in public schools. It's up to the school district, i.e. the parents. If parents don't want their child to be taught this, exposed to this, why are we trying? I say, why is there a faction trying to expose this to these children? Not only that, but you see some other things come up, too, like masturbation tapes. So we disrespect the parents trying to achieve some underlying nefarious agenda, and that's totally wrong. Like the gentleman talked about Confederate statues. Why do you call them Confederate statues? Where in essence, there was American soldiers that fought in many American wars. Robert E. Lee did not just lead the Confederacy. He also fought in the Mexican-American War, and he's done an excellent job with it. That's what gets me. Thank you, Matoya. And I'll mute myself. I may come back in. i press one may come back in later on. Yeah, come back in. We are up against the break. Thank you for being quick, knowing that we were going up against the break, Brother Pianti. Uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. This morning's discussion question, what is ridicule? critical race theory and why should it matter here's a cut from again Rashad Ritchie's indisputable um, give some more context and we'll continue this morning's discussion CRT takes it away from the person and applies the analysis to the institution Jane why do you think they are so afraid of looking at the cause and effect reality of the original sin of this country which was slavery that produced systemic racism. Why are they afraid to look at that one reality and actually provide remedy for it? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's exactly what I wanted to go to, because they're taking it personal in a way that reveals their hand, right? If I was playing poker against them, I'd think, I know what cards you're holding. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, here, I'll give you a perfect example. It's my example. So, I'm Turkish, which in America means almost nothing because there's very few of us, and so it's not a thing that's talked about much. Uh, my uh, background is Muslim. I, I grew up Muslim. So we're a little oppressed here in, in America. In Germany, Turks are far more oppressed. They're a much larger minority, and they suffer significant discrimination, right? Uh, on the other hand, in Turkey, the Turks are the majority and arguably do the oppression, Okay, and I don't think it's that arguable. And so, and they've done it historically, certainly, of Kurds, Armenians, Greeks, you name it, right? So does that make me guilty? Mm. No, 
No, it isn't about you. White folks, let me try to like calm your nerves a little bit, okay? It isn't about you unless you make it about you, unless you take offense at it. If Turks oppressed Kurds in the past or today, I didn't do it. I'm looking to change it. I'm looking to make it better, okay? I'm looking to fix it because I believe, I believe that we can go towards progress. Yeah. But if you don't want to fix it, and you think it's a-okay, that's when you would take it personally and, and feel like it's an attack against you. It isn't an att- attack against Christians or white folks that this is what happened in the past. It isn't an attack against me personally right now that Muslims in the Ottoman Empire did not treat non-Muslims equally. That's a fact. <laughs> Even if you're offended by it, it's a fact. It's true, right? So that I give it to you in a different context so you can understand that history is history. That's right. And so when I see these folks acting out, one of the things I see, Rashad, is they also get that the winners write the history books. And they're now worried that we're going to have equality in this country and that we're going to be equal winners in that sense. And that is what is at the core of what bothers Fox News. And that's why they do all these stories and the folks that are, that are so riled up about teaching what is indisputably true. Yeah. Here's the example I give my college students, because some of them have... Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross and our special guest, Shelly Winters, from Word on, our, Word on the Street, nightly, nightly on 95.5 WSB. What is critical race theory and why should it matter is, again, we hear a cut from Rashad Richards, indisputable, as him and Jink uh, from the Young Turks um, gives his, I feel like, a relatively unique perspective um, as he kind of breaks down his Turkish background. And um, Kelly, again, I'll start with you as our guest. Um, I think when he gives his personal context to say, hey, the Turks in this country relatively not discriminated against this much over in Germany, discriminated against greatly. Um, in our own country, we are, quote-unquote, the oppressors, and just getting saying, hey, these are all these realities, and so learning these things doesn't, in turn, make me a bad person because history is history. Um, I, I think there is a concern that we're, that our, that our, and I'm not wanting or pushing that race theory gets put in because I think we've all agreed here on this on this broadcast that it's, it's still left to graduate teaching and I think Latrice said it best, cultural relevance is more of what's being talked about which is actually not directly related to critical race theory so in again just trying to put things in proper context so my question to you Shelly is um, I think there is concern that our children will not be able to handle, in a sense, simply the, simply the facts. And I've already agreed that we're not looking for school to go too deep into context, but we are, in a sense, wanting to add some things that could, in my opinion, improve how we understand history in this country. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, if I was, I'll be on, um, I'll be on our brother Rashad's show this uh, Thursday. Um, and, um, so, but my point is, my, my answer is if, well, first, the first part of my answer to your clip that you played, if I was sitting there and thank August said that to me, my, my first logical question to him would be, why did your family come here? Period. Period. 
So, so as you talk about the Turks and how they tr- mistreated non-Muslims and how it's not about white people, why did your family leave Turkey to come here? That's got to be answered by him. Because if you're going to t- teach kids the, the history of this country and how there's oppressors and oppressed, and you're a person of color by your own admission as a Turkish Muslim, why did your family bring their people here? Because they knew this was the best place to be. So unless you're going to, that's part of what I'm talking about. You can teach about the oppressor and the oppressed and all of this stuff if you want to, but you still have to put in the context is you came here, your family came here, there's millions of dark-skinned people risking their lives to get here. Why is that? And that's what I would say back to someone I think if he would have said that to me while I was on uh, Rashad's show at the same time. Um, to your question, that's the whole point of this. No one is saying that white people are not afraid of anything. White people are just concerned with their children being taught that they are an oppressive group. That's it. And what you're hearing from students in these schools that are starting with this diversity, as uh, Latrice said, culturally appropriate teaching, what the white kids are saying is that they're not allowed to uh, push back on what they're learning. In a learning um, uh, 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 environment, there should be back and forth. I don't agree with you, Miss Teacher, because, and there should be some push and forth, push and forth and back. What a lot of white parents and black parents are hearing from the students, their kids, like the uh, caller talked about pushing it on the kids and disrespecting the parents, is that the kids are not allowed to push back. So the kids are not allowed to say, oh, well, Miss Teacher, what about the whites who helped in the civil rights movement? What about the whites who gave money to the civil rights movement? Weren't they good whites, or were they all, were all the white slave owners? What about the whites who fought on the union side? Are they all bad, or are they just one side bad? So when the students are saying they're not allowed to push back, and that's part of part of the complaint because it is going to become an indoctrination. We start here. I just want to teach culturally appropriate history. That sounds good. No one's going to be against that until three years from now you're indoctrinating kids to believe that whites are oppressors and blacks are oppressed because we know that's where it's going to come because we've seen it happen before. Latrice, your thoughts? So I disagree. With, I, I disagree with that. So it it is definitely okay to have back and forth because different perspectives definitely open open minds. But if it's not factual perspective, then a teacher has a responsibility to correct that inaccurate information. And we know in the politosphere that there is so much made up nonsense and a lot of and kids see this and then they take this as fact. Teachers have a responsibility to ensure that what's being taught is factual. Now, I agree, no one should be indoctrinated into anything in any school. That's not what we send them there for, but we do send our children to school for an education. And when we think about how whitewashed our history is, things that we don't know, no one's saying go into all the, the intricate details, but we should be honest, we shouldn't be taught that slave owners were nice to black people. We shouldn't be taught that that the, the colonizers were nice to the Indians. I was taught in school that when the pilgrims came here, that they were nice to the Indians, to the indigenous people. That isn't true. 
We're being taught history that's not real. And now because of technological advances and we have all of this information in our pockets at our fingertips, we now know what the real truth is. And that frightens people. In schools that I've been in, when I've, when I've been in my children's school, they're not indoctrinating kids into any kind of political system. They're teaching them the real history. And that's what needs to happen because if we don't know our history, when we teach a whitewashed version of American history, we ignore the oppression that's an integral part of our past. It was a part of our legislation. It was a part of laws. Redlining was a law. And when we leave that out, we don't tell the truth about what's happened. We don't identify the, the leftover systemic issues that still reside with us today, and we do a disservice to dismantling all of those systemic issues within our society. We have to, to acknowledge the truth to get to a better way of life for all people that are considered marginalized groups in this country. Can I ask a question? When you talked you about the can. pilgrims, well, when you talked about the pilgrims, were you taught in the school that the pilgrims were not nice to each other either? That when they started to starve, they started to take food from each other, and they started I to. And I should have been. Right. So, I was so, so, right. So my point is, to teach context, it's not only about you're, you're making the point that the parents are afraid of. When I talk about, you're, you're saying factual, like there should not be a pushback unless it's factual. Well, the factual pushback is that the pilgrims, when they got here, they had no, they had no idea how to till the land, how to farm the land. So they went into a, a more socialist thing where they said everyone had to work, and those that didn't work didn't eat. So should we teach that also? Because that's factual. That's absolutely factual. So I, so I'm not saying that we shouldn't. And that's the thing that you, you want to sit here and you want to try to play these games. I'm not, say, I'm not saying that we should not teach. We should teach both sides of the factual information. Yes, the pilgrims right. were, were cannibalistic in a way towards each other. But we were also right. specifically taught. So, so one part was completely left out. But then we so were taught a lot. Right, but I'm saying we weren't taught a lie. We were taught history without context, and that's we different than a lie. Let him finish. Let him finish. Let him finish. Let him finish. We were taught history without context, and we were also taught a history of a country of, of a propagandized history, which doesn't necessarily make it truly a lie, but it was without context. But it was a propagandized part. Of history, and that is throughout history and mankind that is always going to happen to keep the cohesion of a growing society in love with their nation state. You cannot, you know, that's how people die sense of history that your place, the place in which you live, the country in which you reside, is the greatest place on earth because we have the greatest people on earth. That is not necessarily a lie. It's just without context. What I see happening right now, what I see happening right now, is that there's an effort to not massage that thought and not um, um, not bring that thought to kind of a more nuanced, contextual uh, teaching. I see what's going on is a complete flip of we taught this propaganda, quote unquote, lies. 
So now let's teach, quote, unquote, the truth and make it all bad, and you're the most evil people. Like you said, like your example was about how the pilgrims mistreated the Indians. Well, that's, that is true, but they also mistreated each other. And so they also mistreated the Irish that came. They also mistreated the Jews that came. So it, it, it also be, it becomes something that's less racial and just more human. And that's fine. Now, let, let, me, let me say this. Let me say this. Let me say I got to jump in because we got to go to break and I got callers. And so, um, again, just kind of saying, reiterating his story, his story. You're absolutely right. In writing my story, I'm going to write the best parts. If I want to teach my, you know, even in my family history, I'm going to teach the best things about my family history to my children because I want them to use that as an example of, hey, we come from something, we're going forward. And so I do agree that we do lack, in my opinion, understanding of how history is taught. taught. I will say there are things that are left out that could do what you say, Latrice, could improve how we live together. And so I am a believer that we should bring those things in. But, yeah, it's, it's one, it's not enough time in the day to teach all of those sides, and it becomes unnecessary when we understand how history is used throughout the world. So I think there's a balancing act between what y'all are both saying. Let's go to break, and we'll come back and get to um, both the callers. Brother Pianchi's trying to get back in as well. I'll, we'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk. Um, you said that critical race theory teaches to hate white people. You said that critical race theory teaches that black people won't succeed or can, that their race is the reason why they don't succeed in America. What critical race theorist argues that? Can you name one, just one out of the hundreds of people who've written in critical race theory? Can you name one who says that? We're talking about the body of work here, Mark. I, you know, I understand your tactic. You asked the Name one. No, no, I'm no, asking you to name no. one. Mark, I'm asking you to name me, just let one. Me, let me talk. Let me talk, Mark. You know, I understand your tactic. You ask these specific questions to flex your PhD degree. I get it. That's cool. But also, too, let's talk about the total body of work. It's not limited to one particular scholar. We're talking about the body of work, the body of work that teaches that black people are disadvantaged because of the color of their skin, the body of work that teaches that all white people, as you said, are apparently unconscious racists, the body of work that tells young black folks in this state, in this country, that we are nothing more than our circumstances. That is not how we propel our people. That is not how we push forward. That is not how we become the independent black people, black community that I know you want us to be, Mark, deep down. That's not how we move our people forward right. at all. 
Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Lakeisha Ross and special guest Shelly Winters as we discuss this morning's discussion question, what is critical race theory and why should it matter as you hear a cut between Lamont Hill and C.J. Pearson dialoguing about critical race theory and the context of that, just to give a little bit, um, was the specifically the idea that we led with if you're just now tuning in. Critical race theory is pretty much uh, birthed in the 70s by Derrick Bell, if you will. Uh, but if you listen to the media, you'll hear context from, as Michelle said in the beginning of the show, critical theory, which is in the 20s, um, critical race theory specifically in the 70s, and the 1619 Project, in a sense, is more current to the day. But referencing specifically critical race theory, uh, you hear Lamont challenging, if you will, C.J. Pearson on that specific theory from the 70s. And to a degree, I think we, on the three of us would agree that, um, again, because this issue has been politicized, it's hard to get the actual facts and truth of the matter. And so critical race theory specifically is not being taught in the, in the, at the middle school level. So that's where you hear Mark Hill saying to C.J. Pearson, tell me where something suggesting these overall this overall context that in a sense that CJ represents and says we shouldn't be teaching our children this and relaying it to critical race theory. So if you're listening to me closely, the nuance is it's not directly coming from critical race theory, um, but as Shelley has been, you know, kind of going this thus far, they're concerning what it can morph into. But if we're accurate, no, critical race theory is not teaching those things, uh, you know, from that standpoint. I'm going to play one other quick cut, and then I want to get both of my guests to give a discussion, and then we're going to go to the college. Let me play this other very quick cut that's just, again, just breaking down the nuance of what's being discussed politically. We want to get you all the correct information here. Here's a cut from Trevor Noah's um, show, The Daily Show. Look, I get why these parents are upset. I mean, they don't want their children learning that white people are inherently racist. But that's not necessarily what teaching about racism does. For example, a big reason why American neighborhoods are segregated today is because historically, the government made it almost impossible for black people who tried to move into white neighborhoods. It was called redlining, and it was a societal structure that still has racist effects even if no white people in those neighborhoods now are personally bigots. The point is that you can look at your history critically without believing that you are personally to blame for it. And a good example of this is Germany, right? They teach the Holocaust in the schools. But little Klaus isn't walking home from class like, oh, mama, mama, ich bin ein Nazi. They said that I was Hitler and I did the same thing as him even though I'm five years old. No, that doesn't happen because Germans understand that we learn from history to grow from it, not to wallow in it. But you see, what's happening right now is that in America, some people don't understand that, and their hysteria is spilling into actual laws. So, Shelley, I'll start with you. I feel like that cut, for example, redlining is an example of, you know, something that could be taught. I agree with you, it's, it's not realistic to go in full context of these things, but that's something that, in my opinion, would defeat some of the political narratives, which, you know, I'm not a fan of. And, again, I know um, 
again, politics is your love and that, and that type of thing. Uh, but I think political narratives often take us away from truth that could effectively have make us have more effective dialogues. So I just use that cut to say, here's an example of something that should be included because like yourself, I'm not arguing to add a deeper level of context because I don't think it's realistic in the context of a primary education. But your thoughts on that, King? And then we're going to um, go to Latrice and then we're going to get to the college. I'm sorry, I got you on mute. Let me bring you off mute, brother. Sorry about that. All right, go ahead, King. Got you live. Now. I want to go back to um, Mark Lamont Hill. The first clip you played was C.J. Pearson. C.J. Pearson's an eight, a 19-year-old um, campaign manager. He's managing um, uh, Vernon Jones's campaign. No matter what you think about Vernon Jones, his kid's a young genius. Um, he's been in this game since he was 12 years old. I, I, I love C.J. Pearson. One of the things, so, so to the point, Mark Lamont Hill says up front, Tell me one writer who's saying that they should be teaching critical race theory in schools, right? But then you play the next clip where Trevor Noah is saying we should teach redlining in schools. So the disconnect is you don't want to, you're saying you, we don't want to teach about racism in schools. Well, I'm sorry, we don't want to teach critical race theory in schools, but then again, we want to teach racism in schools. I learned about redlining in school. I didn't learn it in middle school. I didn't learn it in high school. I learned it in college. I learned about redlining. I learned about the covenants. I learned about all these things. So are you now saying we should teach in the middle school students? You want to teach a middle school student that this law about keeping black people in certain neighborhoods was bad? I would argue, I would argue as an anti-integrationist, I would argue that keeping black people in our own neighborhoods was probably the best thing to do because you believe everybody's racist. So, you know, give it context is all I keep saying. Everyone keeps saying we're not trying to teach that white people are bad while at the same time giving examples of teaching white people are all bad. So you think that's an example of teaching that – so let me ask you real quick. You think that's an example of teaching that white people are bad? I think it's exactly what Trevor Noah said where you don't walk away thinking of the individual and the person as the issue because, again, the systemic stuff – is what, in my opinion, we never talk about, and so therefore it continues to exist because there's not dialogue on how to rid ourselves of it. So I don't hear so let's, speaking of redlining, let's, of redlining as that white people are bad. I don't, I don't, I don't hear it that way. I, I no one does. But let's talk. Let's use this example that he used. He said Germany teaches about the Holocaust. Does he give us context of what they teach about the Holocaust? Do they teach people in Germany? about the Holocaust and ask the question of the students, how did, a gov- how did the people of a government allow six million people of their own neighbors be killed? Do they teach that part of it? Because you don't know, and I don't know, and Trevor Noah doesn't know because he's not German. So the fact of the matter remains, you can use to see these things sound good. They sound good. Oh, look at Germany. They teach the Holocaust, but no one's running around saying, I want to be a Nazi. No, but what, did you te- what do you teach in the context of the Holocaust? Because the fundamental question about the Holocaust is not that the Nazis did it, because the Nazis were the government at that time. The people allowed it. The people turned in their own neighbors. The people allowed the, the brown church to draw a swastika on a business to label it a Jewish business. Did the people rise up against that? Because the Nazis did it. We know they were bad. 
So are you teaching that context? Because if you're teaching that context, little Hilda or Helga or whatever his name was that he used has to believe that her mom and her grandma and all of them were bad. But she has to. Now, it's fair, a now, fair talk. Let me jump in. Let me let Latrice jump in if I get to the callers as well. Fair talk, Latrice. Um, go ahead, um, Latrice. Um, thought, and I'm going to go to the callers for the last part of the second. Latrice, come off mute. So when we look at TRT, it's not, it's not teaching that individuals are bad. We are talking about it's taking a look at it from a systemic perspective and how that impacts our, our contemporary issues that we have today. So we're not talking about you're a bad person, you're a bad person, you're a bad person, you're a bad person, you're oppressed, you're oppressed, you're oppressed. That's not what, that's not what it teaches. It's teaching that these are systemic issues that we've had in the past. And it's how it's led to some contemporary problems that we still have today. If we don't begin to, and, and, and I don't disagree with Shelly that there needs to be some level of nuance. There does. But we don't, what we don't need to do is to continue to try and whitewash as if, you know, everything's hunky-dory and always has been. Because that time is, has come and gone. That's, that, that, that dates back to a time when information was not so freely available to us. And we have to recognize that not everyone goes to college, so there is a certain level of information that, about our history that everyone should understand. So perhaps the large division that we see that we think that by not teaching about these issues won't cause, the large division that we presently have in our society might not exist because people had a, had more of a real understanding of what happened. A Fox News journalist tried to say that slaves were treated nicely. Tom Cotton said that that gender and, and race issues just started six months ago. We got to be real, and no one's trying to tell our kids that you don't stand a chance. But what we tell our kids is that you got to do, this is what you have to do. You don't have time to play around in middle school and high school because, boy, you got to do better than this if you're going to survive and overcome the challenges that you encounter in life. And everyone has challenges, but some have more no, no than doubt. others. No doubt. Let me get to one of the callers, but I don't obstacles. get the callers out for this segment, so let me jump to one of the callers. Brother Piazzi, I'm going to get you um, after the top of the hour break. Area code 302-3946. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Good morning. It's Elisa Word, and I am in Gwinnett County in Georgia. So I just want to say that this has been a really, really great conversation, and there's so much on both sides of what your, um, what, what your speakers are saying that, that just makes so much sense. I just wanted to offer something um I think that oftentimes we get stuck in this space as humans, and it's natural to have euphoric recall. And I think that it speaks to some of what Shelley was talking about, you know, about people just kind of remembering the good about certain situations and not remembering the other part of it. Because the truth of the matter is the brain feels uncomfortable when we have to tell truth about stuff that actually hurt people. And I understand this, this idea about teaching things in context, but there's also a difference between context and a flat-out lie. I get the context component. However, we have, we've got so many generations now that know what the truths are that we're far past what context is, and people are actually asserting 
untruth because they know better. They know what the truth is. So it's not just about the context. It's truly about the fact that, you know, you do know more than what you're actually teaching. And even with teachers, when they're teaching kids or whatever, you know, teachers, you know, people say teachers are teaching kids the wrong thing. Well, if that teacher didn't get the right thing taught to her, she can't teach the right thing. The other part of that is is that as humans, you know, we, we have a negativity bias. So people automatically assume that if we teach things in a certain way, it's going to morph into something else. And then they'll say, well, historically, look, this morphed, that morphed, the other. Well, let's think about the LGBTQ plus community. When people were fighting that situation, and now we're at a point where people are fighting for trans rights, they're simply fighting for their human rights. So was it not okay for that to morph into something where they wanted to be treated as human? But our negativity bias says that we are going to, it's going to morph into something negative. It could, in fact, morph into something positive. However, anyone who was teaching this theory has to take their own emotional self out of it. They have to take their own personal worldview out of it. They have to take their own hurt lens out of it in order for anything to be taught in an effective manner, or you risk becoming ontologically arrogant, believing that your worldview is everyone else's worldview, and you push that onto mm-hmm. students. I think that students have a right to, to talk and to be able to debate conversations, even in middle school. Now, if you look, there was a mom in 2015 hey, Queen, I gotta go who actually I noticed. Okay. One and back on the one, um, but I will put you back in line with other callers, but a great three, great call, great three cents. We are against the top of the hour break. We'll be right back. You listen the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Always finding something to be mad for. Man, I hate my life. I wish I had yours, but it's yours. Yours, 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 yours. Yesterday I woke up out the matrix. So today is right back to the basics. Blocking and tackling, taking angles in pursuit of my happiness and embracing my nappiness. It's Wakanda forever, had us under the weather. Sick and tired of the pressure, always gotta be fresher, always gotta be extra. Everybody is special. Social media training, if you're speaking the language. All day long, all I see is everybody perfect when I'm scrolling through my phone. Seem like all they want It's just a bunch of bragging people acting like they get it, but they don't It's true All day And as I understand it, uh, you know a little bit about critical race theory, which seems to be at the forefront of so many conversations today, particularly as it concerns school curriculum. So I was wondering if you can kind of tell the people, what is it? You know, critical race theory is basically a way, it's a framework for understanding how race as a construct has been weaponized over time and has become part of the law, the, the fabric of how we govern America, how we govern our institutions, everything from the way that police officers are are, are, are um, administrating policing to communities, to how courts work and how schools work, how elections work, that um, racism is more than individual bigotry between individuals, but it is actually something that is embedded within our systems and we must root it out. CRT is the framework for rooting it out and it's under attack. Yeah, it definitely seems to be under attack. And I know that um, critical race theory is very powerful in that it interrogates the role race really plays 
in our society and largely kind of looks at it through a legal law level and that it was Kimberly Crenshaw who kind of came, brought it into being, so to speak, in terms of that uh, legal angle. And so generally, it's my understanding that it is, it's taught in law. And so why are a lot of these educators at the local kind of public school level concerned about it? Well, you know, it's it's got even further roots back be, before it was a legal concept. Out of the what came out of the civil rights movement was a lot of disappointment that all of the work, the good work that was done during the civil rights movement, didn't amount in the type of advancement and progress, socially speaking, economically, politically speaking, for people of color that was expected from the people that worked in the civil rights movements. Um, CRT became a way for saying, you know, the problem is deeper than we really thought it was. It's not just a situation where black and white folks are going to sit next to each other and all of a sudden start loving each other over a period of time and then everything's going to change. It actually was more deeply rooted into our institutions and people within the legal studies departments, people like Derek Bell and others who had had experience in civil rights, um, started to look more deeply into the law and into the structures of our rules of society, the rules of the, uh, you know, the, the rules that we live by and started to see that you could have things be very racist. Uh, in our society without them looking like they are. They could look colorblind. The war on drugs is a great example of that. You know, passing a disparity between powder cocaine and crack cocaine, there are very clearly racial implications to that decision to make different punishments. But you could conceivably say that it was a colorblind blind policy. It really wasn't. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross and special guest Shelly Winters are on the line this morning for this morning's discussion question, what is critical race theory and why should it matter? So you hear another cut that breaks down critical race theory specifically. And um, I'm going to go to both of my guests. I'm going to start with Shelly. Um, your thoughts on that cut? And then we're going to get to the callers after um, Latrice gives her thoughts as well. Go ahead, Shelly. Shelly, can you hear me? Oh, yeah, yeah, I can hear you. I uh, was struggling to get off a of mute. Um, um, I was going to say, uh, my my thought, the, the the first clip the clip that you pay, played was absolutely correct. That is the original intention of critical race theory. The the fear, and and I don't I don't say it's not a logical fear. The fear is, and oh by the way, can I just say that caller that you had, God bless her, um, because I think she probably should have been a guest and not a listener. Um, take my place next time, sister. But um, I, I think the fear is where it gravitates to. You know what I mean? Because that first, the first guy you had on the first clip you played, he's absolutely right. That is the framework that you want to teach from. And, and that is a great framework to teach from. And I have no problems with that. I mean, we talk about things like that on my show all the time on 95.5 FM WSB radio from nine to midnight, Monday through Friday, shameless plug. But the thing is, where does it gravitate to when, once you start that? Because we know nothing starts at one spot and stays there. No one's going to bring critical race theory into the educational system and leave it there as a framework. It will, it will move. 
Um, and I think that's where you're fearing, that's where you're hearing from the um, parents that are pushing back. The idea that they're pushing back because they don't want to be called racist, it's a fair statement. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who wants to be called racist? Who wants to right. be called a name? Who wants to be seen as a negative person or someone that's pushing racism? So when you see the arguments against the people, the parents, and I, I stress that, the parents who are pushing back, you see the attacks on those parents as negative. So where, where will this framework gravitate towards at a certain point? That's the fear uh, that's going on, and I think it's a legitimate fear. Um, I think what that guy said, semantics, words matter. I think the people who are pushing critical race theory know in which the way in which they're pushing it is in order to push your people into a corner by saying that they don't want to learn about their history, they don't want to learn about racism. That's not true. What they don't want this to become is an indoctrination of their children one side or the other. This is a 2,500 black mothers group, 2,500 black mothers nationally who are pushing back against this. Are they racist? Are they fearful of, of race talk in their schools? No. What they're pushing back on is what they know that's going to come around a corner once you allow this into the door at the school system. And I push back on anybody that says no one's pushing this in schools because they clearly are because the argument becomes why, do you want, why don't you want racism taught in schools? You must be clearly a racist. While at the same time they say no one's trying to teach this in schools. So you already see the hypocrisy. In, in the arguments presented by the pro CRT group. Hey, hey, um, right. Let me Mark, let me jump I, in real quick. I, let me. Oh, go ahead, bro. I gotta go. I, I'm at this expo, so I gotta go. I, okay, I got it here. Got I apologize. I really, uh, but I, I really wish you the dialogue. But, but thank that, you for what you've given us this morning, brother. Go ahead and get one more shameless plug, and I'll let you go. <laughs> I'm on uh, Monday through Friday on WSBRadio.com or 95.5 FM if, in your, if you're in Georgia in your car at night, 9 to midnight, Monday through Friday. is a team. There's a whole show. It's not just me. So we get into these discussions and go back and forth the same way in which you are so uh, great doing it. And that sister that called in, I think her name was Alicia. God bless you, sister, because what you yeah, said, I totally agree with you. And let her yeah, take your place, like you just suggested. That's how. See, that's how good yeah, yeah. Family she show can take we are. my place. She's about to take your I'm place right now. Taking my place. <laughs> All right, sounds God bless good. You. Thank you, Latrice. Right, I look no forward Thanks to having coffee time, with you, my sister. Uh, absolutely. Thanks a lot, King. Absolutely. Uh, Lisa, you Kelly. back on with us live as well. Go ahead, Latrice. Your thoughts on the cut as well. So, um, well, first, one thing that Shelly said, he highlighted the 2,500 mothers. In the grand scheme of things, that's not a lot of black mothers who are advocating for right. this. Um, as far as the cut is concerned, um, one of the things that we need to look at is what teaching, and, and I'm all about inclusion. My, 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 my work, in which I didn't talk about, is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I'm all about inclusion. I'm not about excluding anyone. As a matter of fact, I'm actually going to be having a listening session so that white men can tell us what they think about the work that I'm doing. So I'm going into the lion's den essentially, so that they don't feel excluded. So I'm not about exclusion, but I am about truth and honesty and data and facts. And one of the things that I found in preparing for this is that kids actually perform better on standardized tests when they teach an inclusive curriculum. And when we look at, when I look at that, and, I, and I, you know, some of the data that came up was specific to Dallas. In 2017, Dallas established a racial equity office, and they compiled data that showed how, how students of color were punished more aggressively for the same infra, you know, for, for infractions 
where white students were not punished as aggressively for the same infraction. And so we cannot, we cannot not teach about bias, whether it's cognitive bias, whether it's implicit bias, whatever bias it is, it exists. And we all have bias because we have a brain and our brains work. And so what we need to understand is that our race, racism, sexism, xenophobia, all of these things, unfortunately, are intrinsically woven into our society. Critical race theory talks about it from a systemic perspective, not an individual perspective. And no one's going from systemic to individual. It's the individual, as Alicia said, the brain doesn't want to acknowledge that. And so they go, well, if you're talking about these systems, my people are the majority that put these systems in place. So by virtue of that, that must mean that I'm bad. No, it doesn't mean that you're bad. It simply means that the systems that have oppressed others are bad, and we need to understand what those systems are so that we can undo those systems. We need to understand, we need to make our teachers aware of what's happening in our schools so they can acknowledge or recognize, oh, my gosh, my implicit bias caused me to punish Johnny, who's black, more aggressively than I punished Jimmy, who's white, and they did the same thing. These things are playing out with our students every day in school. They know that it's happening. We must teach the truth, nuances included, so that we can change our society, so that we can change the outcomes for our students. And by whitewashing it, by saying we can't do it, we got to stop that. Yeah, I actually can agree with that, Um, even with the cut that I played, what I loved about that cut and I in where he breaks down how the disparity happened between, you know, cocaine and crack, if you will. And so it is my belief that this done correctly is how you avoid making that policy in the first place. But if you're unconscious of it or never been taught about it, then those type of decisions um, can be made. And as, as he said, you think you have a colorblind policy that actually is not. And I am still consistently saying keeping critical race theory where it is at now at the graduate level. So I'm not talking about bringing that type of context in the school. Although I think Elisa said, hey, I'm, I, I think the kids can be exposed to it. We have her on the line. Um, but Queen, before I let you speak, I'm going to go to a couple of people that have been on hold um, calling as well. So let's go to another caller and we'll get your thoughts. Um, matter of fact, we, we got a minute for the break. I don't want to cut a thought off. So what I'm going to do is go to break early. That way I can get everybody's context, full context of their thoughts. You're listening to the Memphis Dialogue Talk Show. All I ask is that you think. We'll be right back. Please share this show with anybody out there that you think should be listening. Please share whether you're listening online. Share the, the URL or just send them the phone number and have them listen via the phone. We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. Have you heard about that podcast, Mental Dialogue? It's so good it should be illegal. But if you miss the live show every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio, be sure to catch replays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all other streaming platforms. We are the return of intelligent radio, and we are the best in the world at having hard conversations on race, sex, gender, and business in the African-American community. And remember, all I ask is that you think. 
wait. Where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes. And I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit. And what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies' gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still go with me. Because I look like money. Smell like money. Talk like money. Even walk. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. It's backwards to fight discrimination with different types of discrimination. And it's wrong to try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down debates in the present. Boy, that's um, I still marvel over it. Now, my question is real simple. Shouldn't Republicans, conservatives, and for that matter, everyone else, just follow Senator Scott's lead and his elegant platform against wokeism and cancel culture and critical race theory and high taxes and welfare without workfare. And by the way, our next guest, Ben Carson, former distinguished housing secretary, he says we should be focusing on not equity, but but inequality. That's what we should focus on. Not a matter of equity, it's a matter of equality, of opportunity. Um, Ben, thank you for coming back on the show. Uh, I've spent Absolutely, some, Larry. I've spent some time dissecting and talking about what Tim Scott said because, you know, that's a, it's a tough sell to do the counterattack, as you know, against the State of the Union. And I thought he made a tremendous statement. And then I think in some ways, because of what Scott has done and because of what you have done, including your op-ed piece, but also you just being you these many years, we actually may have the wokes on the run if we continue this. What do you think? Well, I think a lot of people are truly waking up and seeing what's going on and recognizing that, you know, the things that are the foundations of of our country are not the things that are being espoused by the woke generation. You know, we have never been a country that tried to punish people who didn't agree with us. We have never been a country that would choose one group over another group rather than try to have fairness and justice. Now, we've not always succeeded at that. There's no question about that. But we've made enormous progress. And we Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross, and recently picked up. We have the smartest audience in all of radio. Lisa Ward is now a special guest with us along the way for as long as that queen has time to rock with us. If you're out there on the phone line and see you out there, you do have to press one if you're trying to speak this morning. As I played a cut, um, we'll hear Dr. Ben Carson um, giving his perspective. And if you listen to the cut specifically, uh, you heard the co-host of that cut 
throw in critical race theory in the discussion. And again, because we like to do nuance and try to give fair context, the reality is critical race theory itself really shouldn't be even in the context of what you just heard. However, I played that that um, cut because I do want to bring the discussion into a bigger context and obviously we can get back to CRT if you will, but the bigger context is, which I think is fair, so as we listen to a Dr. Ben Carson, regardless of how you may feel about him, the way the cut ended said, hey, there's been a tremendous amount of progress and so now I want to get into the psychology of, 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 of a bigger context, if you will and so to a degree, there are African-Americans specifically who quite often suggest that there hasn't been progress made in the country. And so for African-Americans who feel like there's been no progress, those who are pushing back saying, well, if you continue to think that way, then it, it limits how you can, how you see yourself in the bigger context of your ability to achieve. I, I actually think um, there's some validity to that type of thinking because the reality is, I love to give this example. Um, I started Mental Dialogue, the actual live event, which, you know, by the way, is coming back bigger in the pandemic. We've been off for over a year now. Um, but I actually started it in a barbershop in 2008. And the first discussion that we did was on the um, brink of Barack Obama becoming the president. And we asked the question, in a sense, should blacks vote for Obama? And I remember saying to people that night in our very first event that as African-Americans, our reality, or at least what we thought our reality was, where we were in a sense, in context and in general, we were last on board believing that Americans, in a sense, would even vote for a black man. And obviously that happened in 2008. But as a culture in, two, in you know, 1998, or even, I would even say 2006, most of us believe we wouldn't have seen that in our lifetime. And so I'm pointing that out to just kind of say that we were kind of unaware of, in a sense, the cultural progress that it had been made in that sense. And I'm definitely not saying that that achievement alone is, is, is the progress that we need. I'm just talking about the psychological idea of being blocked from that view. And so I bring all that to the table in context with the cut that was just played because, again, there is some validity in a larger context in, in, in reference, you know, for example, how we use history, for example, to uh, cancel out things that happen currently because they, they lack context. We see a lot of that happening. So I, while I understand that pushback, CRT has unfairly got pushed into that context. Um, Latrice, what are your thoughts? I know I said a lot there, um, but what are your thoughts about what I said? And then we're going to go to Elisa, uh, Elisa as well, with our new, our new special guest. Go ahead, Latrice. I'm sorry. Let me bring you live, Queen. Just perhaps a little feedback. I was just trying to. Oh, you know, you're live. Go ahead, Queen. Okay. So. We we have definitely made progress, and I think that I, I agree with you that I think before the the when President Obama um, announced that he was running, many were skeptical that that we were ready for a black president. Um, and you know, but when we think about the when we look at history in its entirety, we've made strides, and that's evident. 
but we have not completed that cycle. Um, in every aspect of our lives, we encounter race, and we have to acknowledge that. And talking about um, race, one, one of the things, I took a diversity and inclusion class. The instructor asked, and it was taught by C.P. Vivian's son, and he asked, how many of you, when you wake up in the morning and you plan your day, you think about your race? And every person in that group that was not white raised their hand. Not a single white person raised their hand. And it's because they simply go about their life because they are the norm. The fact that Band-Aid brand Band-Aids just created a colorful line that matches the hues of black people speaks to that. The fact that I can't go into a public grocery store and find hair products for myself speaks to that, that we aren't where we should be as a society. When we talk about colorblindness, when you say you don't see color, what you're saying is there is a problem with color. So don't say that you don't see it. Acknowledge that you see it and all that comes with it. One of the things, one of the, one of my, one of the, one of the most prolific quotes, I think, from James Baldwin, um, it says that not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. And what we see is a movement to not acknowledge the real true history of this country to make, to replace it with fables and fairy tales. But until we face our, that first original sin of this country, we are not going to get true equity, not equality, equity. Because until you achieve equity, giving people what they need to be successful, removing barriers and headwinds and obstacles that impact them, until we achieve equity for everyone, we will never achieve equality. And we will never get to equity by not facing what we've done, what this country has been in the past. Acknowledging the strides that we've made and acknowledging that there is still much work to be done. Alisa, your thoughts, please. Thank you for being on with us this morning. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, you know, vocabulary is everything. And we're all speaking from, in this realm right here, from a level of maturity of knowledge that others, it might be different from others. And most often people hear with the ear that's attached to their experiences and, and their ego or emotional state. And subsequently, they speak from that place. So when we're having these conversations about critical race theory and people are getting upset on either side of the coin, the question really becomes, where are they in their mind? Because there are some great components of critical race theory, but then there's some other components of it that you have to question. And when it comes to teaching this to our younger children, are they cognitively able to understand that in the proper context if their own teachers are not able to do so. So then when you have these community conversations with people about this, and you know, the one clip earlier, the woman was crying talking about, you know, because I disagree with critical race theory doesn't mean that I'm, I'm, I'm a racist, because she doesn't want to be labeled it because it doesn't feel good to be labeled as a racist. And, and in, in transactional analysis, we talk about in order for me to feel okay, then maybe you don't feel okay. Or in order for you to feel okay, maybe I don't feel okay. we got to both get to an okay state. And that requires us to expand our vocabulary 
and stop with the blanket statements about what it is and what it is not when we're teaching these things and have real conversations based on facts, not fiction, like when McGraw-Hill decided to create a book that said slaves were immigrants, but then they, they called other Europeans indentured servants, and a mother complained about that because vocabulary is everything. So we have to go back and, and realize that, yes, we've made a lot of progress. We're not there yet. So many people are angry because they think it's been too long. It shouldn't be this long. And I agree with that. However, this is our reality right now. So what you going to do right now? Keep complaining about it or keep doing the work? And I think equity is important. I think equality is important. I think diversity is important. I think inclusion is, inclusion is important. But it all has to start with doing so in the context of the correct vocabulary. We need to go back to the dictionary and see what the words really mean and make sure that we're using them in the proper context when we're even doing any of this work. And that includes me, too. That's not nah, thank you for those. Let me go to um, a couple of callers that have been on hold. Um, area code 609, last three, 258. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Area code 609, you're live on the air. Oh, Adam sorry, I was still muted. How are you, Montoya? Okay. This is John Costino. Hey, how you doing, John? Thanks for calling in, brother. We got about a minute and a half. I may have to keep you on after the break. Go ahead, brother. No problem. I wanted to say great job by all of your speakers and co-hosts today. I've been on listening since the beginning. And um, I'll simply say this. I don't think it's a case of whether or not it should be taught. I absolutely think we must address. I think the biggest challenge, and maybe we can get to this after the break, is the goals of the teaching and how it's handled. And the reason I bring that up is I absolutely on every level think people have the best of intentions, but if it's not handled, and when I say it, I mean any type of issue like this, it does have really, really, uh, we'll just say potentially negative consequences. And my example, uh, taking it away from race, is look at what happened with the, the transgender movement. We now have a whole set of, of problems with young girls in high school competing in athletics that have been completely obliterated by males identifying as females. And we could go through example after example. It was never intended to harm the, the equality or, in fact, give you know, the chance for young girls to compete. They're now being marginalized and moved out of it because of the transgender movement. And I can't believe that was anyone's intention or goal at the beginning, but left unchecked or just mistreated, that movement has now damaged the ability for young girls in high school to compete in athletics. And that's just going to have a, a harsh trickle-down effect from that point. So I just say, yes, it's no, I love that. We actually have to be careful. John, I'm going to keep you on after the, keep you on so we can continue after the break. And I think the cut that yeah. we're about to hear is going to put what you're put, saying even in a, in a bigger context that the goal is what we have to keep in mind. Brother Pianchi, I got you as well. Um, but, yeah, brother, um, I'm going to keep you on um, after this break. We'll be right back listening to the Mental Dialogue <laughs> Talk Show where all I ask is that you think this is a cut from Jail Bleeds all day long from Square Business and Entertainment, one of our longtime sponsors. Enjoy a small cut, and then we'll go back to this morning's discussion question, what is critical race theory and why should it matter? Always finding something to be mad for Man, I hate my life, I wish I had yours But the shores Yours, yours, yours 
I woke up out the matrix. So today is right back to the basics. Blocking and tackling, taking angles in pursuit of my happiness and embracing my nappiness. This Wakanda forever had us under the weather. Sick and tired of the pressure. Always gotta be fresher. Always gotta be extra. Everybody is special. Social media training. If you're speaking the language all day long. All I see is everybody perfect when I'm scrolling through my phone. Like all they want It's just a bunch of bragging people acting like they get it But they don't It's true All day long Side by side Side by side comparison Do you have this? Yes I do Mr. Toast When you look at this side by side comparison With our house bill over here The bill that we all passed Versus the Senate What page are you on representative? On this if you look at this comparison... What, I'm sorry, what page are you on? I'm on page three, but I'm not asking you about okay. a specific page. When you look at this side-by-side comparison throughout, throughout the bill, it reads like a how-to guide in historical whitewashing. Are you aware that this new version of the bill from the Senate removes the writings of Frederick Douglass? I am. Are you aware that this new version of the bill from the Senate removes the writings of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr.? Yes. Are you aware that this new version of the bill from the Senate removes the history of Native Americans? The way the bill is laid out, that's a yes or no question. We are very clear are you that aware we could not this be new version of the bill about every single document the out there that of we Native could. Americans? I'm, I'm going to give you an answer. You're not. This isn't a trial. I'm going to give you an answer. Okay, I'm ready for the answer. The way it's set out is so that a teacher can go to different documents and different authors by which to teach from. It's by no means meant to be a conclusive list. Let me just ask you one more time. Are you aware that this new version of the bill from the Senate removes the history of Native Americans? It's on page three of the side-by-side if you don't have it in front of you. Then I believe you. Okay. Are you aware that this new version of the bill removes mentions of Cesar Chavez? Yes. Are you aware that this new version of the bill removes mentions of Susan B. Anthony? Yes, I am. Um, Yet the new version of the bill from the Senate, this is not the bill we all passed as a House, but the Senate's version, it still includes the writings of Alexis de Tocqueville, and he's not even an American. Could that be because he's a white man? Not exactly. And let me me respond something to, let me, let me, you brought up Susan B. Anthony. Are you aware, Representative, that Susan B. Anthony was an abolitionist? Again, I don't have to answer questions about this bill. No, I we're having a discussion it. here, and there's nothing, in the, there's nothing about me in the rules from, not being able to ask you a question. From what I can see... Were you also this, aware that she was pro-life? Ms. Chose, that she I know, fought against, she Ms. Fought Chose, against both slavery? I know these are hard questions, I really do, but I need, to, I need to try to answer them. From what I can see, the new version of the bill removes all mentions of people of color and women from the legislation. Is that correct? Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Sloppy Keys, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross, our new special recently picked up guest. Elisa Ward is on with us as well. I have a caller on the line, um, John Pino, who asked a very um, good question, you know, where does this all go? And as we hear this cut, this is um, out of the legislation and the bill being pushed in Texas. And um, let me give a little context if you understand how, in a sense, 
the, con the idea of textbooks got brought up uh, earlier on the show. And so quite often, whatever textbooks are approved in Texas, uh, quite often mo a lot of the schools in the Southeast will copy thereby because it makes it cheaper to buy in bulk. And so Texas has a big influence over what textbooks will be purchased. I wanted to bring that context in hearing that legislation is being pushed and possibly going to pass as you hear uh, another um, representative kind of break down, hey, this side by side, you're cutting out all of this history, history, which is clearly, in a sense, a version of whitewashing. And so I bring this up, and obviously I hate that we don't have Shelly now, because Shelly continuously talked about where would this go and where would it push to. That is the flip side, and we're witnessing a, a legislative state and the power of a big state can have influence over the rest of the country. We're watching one state take this and go the complete opposite direction of, I think, what any, what any of us um, would agree with. I'm going to let John kind of get a quick thought in because he's the caller. And, um, you know, again, where are we going with this? So, unfortunately, that example, John, is, is an example of where some people may choose to go and can have, in my opinion, detrimental effects and people, in my opinion, are misusing CRT, which is not taught at the middle school and high school level, and using it as a way to pull off legislation like this. I see this as very, very much an issue and what I've always been concerned about. Your thoughts, John? Uh, you got, you're correct, and, and both you and your co-host mentioned it. We have, we've become a society that politicizes things for personal gain or for political party gain. And sadly, you know, I don't like speaking in generalities, but in this state, in this statement, I will. The masses really don't even know what they think because they're so influenced by the media and by mm -hmm. the propaganda. And, and just, I mean, even now we're seeing certain things being hyped by corporate America by the the sports leagues and it's sad because it's giving people a false narrative of what the truth is because they're following their favorite athletes or their favorite entertainers actors musicians whatever and most of it is propaganda with a purpose instead of as i think we all intend it for a better future rather than repeating really negative experiences from the past. And that's why for me, it's not a question of should it be discussed? Absolutely it should. But I think that we have to work harder to be careful and to be cautious and to be very aware of what we're teaching because the goal is all that matters. And like I said, I use the example, you know, it's absolutely a travesty uh, that, that young females that we've all said for generations, if not decades, hey, they need, it needs to be fair. They need to have equal pay. They need to have this, they need to have that. To then have the transgender movement, which everybody was behind, equality between men and women, actually harm, it's not harming men, it's harming young girls. And what's the negative effect if an entire generation of young girl high school athletes are marginalized and or basically taken out because you can see and hear if you talk to them 
they're mentally, morally defeated when they realize I'm the fastest female in the state, but I now rank 734th because of the guys at my level that have the ability to switch genders and now compete against me. It's just not fair. And nobody saw it coming. I don't think it was a intentional malicious move, but regardless of what, you know, people thought was going to happen, that's the reality we're facing right now. And I see the same exact yeah, potential you. danger. Yeah. Yes, no, thank you. Um, I'm, you know, you've said a lot. I'm going to let both of my guests address it. Um, appreciate you so much for your three cents. Um, because again, I think that's this is the dialogue we should be having versus the political narrative that critical race theory has been thrown in, as you said, for people's personal gain and to push a political agenda. And unfortunately, the power that be, the money that's been in the media, that ends up being the context that we have the conversation versus, yes, let's include this, but let's make sure that the end goal is included because, again, you can't, you do have, like Shelly was saying earlier, you do kind of have to pick and choose history in a way that moves the, the culture forward not in a way that doesn't. So, so a lot of valid things been said, and this is a valid for myself and the um, my post to to espouse over. So, thank you for your three cents this morning, John. Thank you for having me, sir. No, absolutely. At least I'm gonna start with you again, because you know we're at the last minute, so Queen. So, any thoughts about um, John's concerns? Because I do think that is a fair question, and as I just said, I would offer. I wish this was the national dialogue versus the political. The, politicization of this of this um, subject because again it's the, it's a, it's the void of the actual truth and what's being done but you know we can have that dialogue on this show so what do you think about his concerns in reference to this oh I absolutely agree that with every major shift every major change there's always going to be the other side of things that we have to concern ourselves with which we typically as humans don't do. And um, so, so when you're thinking about all of these things like this, I think this is why it's even more important to think about not only having teachers involved in, in this thought process, but getting politicians out of it, but including psychologists and, and, and seeing how these things could really truly work in such a way that we do them in, in conjunction with how the brain actually works, processes, receives, and interprets information, because that's a bigger piece that's left out of a lot of this stuff, is that you will sometimes have people with the whole, you know, the, the other issue, you know, with the, you know, there were a lot of people that were involved medically about what needed to be done um, as far as, you know, the, the transgender community. But did we really include sociologists and psychologists to see what the long-term impacts are and the things that we could have missed in the process of doing this. And it's the same thing, you know, with this whole idea of, of critical race theory. It's bigger than the people who are currently pushing it. The people who are pushing it on both sides tend to have a political agenda in, in play. And they're not always the people who are going to think about the entire picture and how it's going to matter to everyone in the long run. So, again, I still stick to my point that from a negativity bias, we as humans are going to go to that absolute what's the worst thing that could possibly happen, even though there are good things that can happen from it. But we also have to find that balance in there. And I think that's what's really missing in this. I'm not saying teach critical race theory in kindergarten, fifth grade, with eighth grade or whatever, but I'm not saying that to, to not take some of the components of what is really important as basically a precursor or even a prerequisite 
to get people in the mindset of fairness, equity, equality, inclusion, and then take it to that next level when they get into college. But we've got to be able to get some of the tenets of this truth and these facts and stop teaching lies. And to, to Shelley's point and even to Latrice's point, you know, it's, it's context, yes, but it's also truth. And I think when we no, figure me, out how to make that Latrice. balance, no, absolutely. And I, w- I would offer, and I mean, I think we might be saying the same thing. I would offer that the balance is, uh, is again, keep the CRT theory in itself at the graduate level. You know, however, we're pushing back, pushing back against these political agenda to use that word to to avoid what we just heard in the cut, where somebody literally just literally wants to whitewash it and, and use CRT as the cover for wanting to whitewash it. So I think we're all pushing back on that. And I think you both said it best when, let's be, like you said, let's be honest that sometimes what's currently being taught ain't just the, 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 the here's how we want our country to move forward and think of our own country, but the actual lies. You know, where, as, she, as, as Latrice, as you said, I'll let you jump in here, when you were talking about, you know, the real-life recent Example on TV was someone basically told a lie about history and saying that these are the type of things that are being taught. And so, you know, what I want to see at the middle school level and, and specifically at the high school level are the things that are just being left out in, re- in reference to cultural relevance. CRT theory, again, set aside, not something that I'm asking to be taught. But we, you and I both know things that do matter that, for example, when the political left and right wants to say, hey, these people act this way because of this, that this is some type of political agenda, when the reality is had you learned history, you wouldn't be confused or either side wouldn't be able to influence you because you would already know the truth had you just learned the proper history. Um, actually, I talked myself right into the break. So apologize for that, Latrice. I'll let you come um, out of break. And Brother Pianchi, we got you um, coming out of this last break as well. You're listening to the Dialogue Show, where all I ask is that you think. LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business for over 15 years, LNG technicians have over 150 years of equipment-specific knowledge and are known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478-781-4860. Again, for a service job done right, that number is 478-781-4860. LNG Technologies is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways. Every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. If you have a product or a service you would like to get out to the smartest audience in all of radio, yes, please contact me at 404. 404- 6049477. Thank you to my longtime sponsors, Square Business Entertainment, Money Motivation, and L and G Technologies. Again, 
Give me a call if you want to get your information out. If you are an individual listener and love what you're hearing, the return of intelligent radio, um, trying to have those honest conversations that they're afraid to have in the mainstream media, then please become a supporter or member at mentaldialogue.com. Uh, my current co-host, Patrice uh, Ross, as well as our recently pulled on special guest, Elisa Word, they are both members of the Mental Dialogue Community Club. I would like to highlight for all of the Atlanta community, June 26th, we will be attending Jazz in the Alley um, down in the historic downtown Norcross. Please go to the meetup page for those who are familiar uh, to, to see the highlights for at 7.30 p.m. June 26th, supporting we are outside finally once again and stay tuned for the mental dialogue live experience should be coming back in july I'm still negotiating that location but looking forward to getting back started with that this morning's discussion question what is critical race theory and why should it matter um latrice i know i said some things before the break again just uh, i think john brought it in, in very um prevalent question to what we should be discussing. Um, so I wanted to get your thoughts on what's been said thus far. Go ahead, Queen. I'm sorry, I was coming off on mute. So um, a couple of things. So when we think about how things have been politicized, there's an agenda there, and we know that. We, we, we know how divisive um, politics are. And so there is an agenda both on the left and the right when they when they when critical race theory became politicized. But I'm gonna move on from that. Um, I think our students deserve an honest accounting and understanding of our history and how it's in its greatness and in its shamefulness. Um, when I when I, I did a, a recent um, talk on how colorblindness contributes to racism. And it does so because when you think about um, the majority population, more often than not, they don't have the displeasure of experiencing racism. And because they don't get to experience racism, they don't understand that it exists. They don't understand that there are obstacles that some have to overcome that others don't. These very same children who don't experience racism, who are not exposed to an understanding of the systemic issues that have been intentionally placed into our our structures and how that continues to impact certain segments of the population present day. These very same young people are going to grow up and be our doctors and our lawyers and our police officers. And because they never experienced racism, because they never learned about the true history of this country and how the systemic structures put in place continue to impact us today, they then go into these professions blind to the lived reality of marginalized people. And there in itself, we continue yet another generation that continues to perpetuate oppression, racism, sexism, all of that. And the only way that we get to undo this is if we teach it, but teach it properly. No child should go into a school thinking, come out of school, a history class thinking, feeling that I'm an oppressor and that I'm a racist. But they should understand the systems that are in place so that when they grow up and become professionals, 
they can be judicial in their responses to people that are different from them, for people who had different lived experiences than them. And that is what we're fighting now. We're fighting an adult generation who grew up colorblind, who didn't experience racism, and who genuinely believe that my lived experience, what I'm saying, is wrong, that I'm inaccurate in my assessment. And we see and we now have the shenanigans that we have going on because we've raised the generation of people not to see color. And because they don't experience the same things as us, they don't believe that those things are true. And that's why it was such a, a, a mass um, allegiance after the death of George Floyd was witnessed by the world. The world, it was a perfect opportunity because the world was broken. There were no games. There were no clubs to go to. There was nothing to do. So they had nothing to do but sit and watch a black man under the knee of a white police officer begging for his life. And a lot of minds were changed at that point. But we shouldn't have to wait for another George Floyd under the knee of a white police officer for another generation to understand what needs to happen. My strong thoughts, it brings to mind um, this brother by the name of Bernard Kinsey. I've always used this ever since I heard it. Uh, he and his wife, they own the um, largest African-American um, arts and artifact um, collection in the country. And at the time, I think it was maybe Wells Fargo, they were um, kind of touring the country. So I saw him when he came to Atlanta. And he always said something that always stuck with me, and I love to share it. And he said, one of the biggest mistakes we made in this country was trying to have a colorblind country. We should have been um, advocating for a color-rich country um, because the U.S. experience, the American experience is unique in that we are not as homogeneous as, as you may, as you see around the world because it is, in a sense, a quote-unquote melting pot, or some people like to call it a salad, whatever you want to call it. But because that is the reality of all these different cultures together, had we been focused on color rich, then that question alone says, okay, you are different in, in understanding that you are different in some manner, whether that be racial, ethnic, religious, cultural, whatever the case may be, in that difference, instead of me being afraid of it or having this idea of we all should be alike, you then are curious to say, well, because you have this culturally rich difference, let me understand something about your culture so that I can understand you better. I have an example I'm, I might share at the end, but I want to make sure I'm getting Elisa's thoughts and getting to Brother Pianchi. So, Brother Pianchi, I'm going to um, back in right. Again, we only have so many minutes. This has been such a wonderful discussion this morning. All right, Brother Pianchi, give us your three cents on this morning's discussion. Well, I wish I could be one of your panelists. I'd even pay for it on some of these issues. I don't have time to go over all the points that I wanted to go to okay. <clears throat> and a lot of things I've heard. Uh, somebody mentioned, and I'm not attacking anybody, somebody mentioned about the pilgrims. Pilgrims allied with the Indians when they got here. They allied with them. The Spanish at Fort Moses during 1738, they paid the settlers for their property, which was slaves. And in that fort, they was married, doing business and everything else. So a lot of things that people say, it's just not true totally, Montoya. And that's why I have a problem. But here's the thing. The ultimate thing is this. When we use this vocabulary of we and us, we're leaving out the key component in this teaching. It is the will of the parent. Stop trying to change a person's mental state 
or they added to by imposing legislation on them. If they don't want their children to be exposed to it, can we just simply say it's up to the parents? I would love to see 2,500 parents show up at a PTA or school board meeting or a council meeting. That is a lot. I'll talk to you later. And real quick, brother, real quick, one quick question before you go, if you're still there. Yeah. Um, so I hear what you're saying. However, what about the concern of if you, you know, again, every place is not monolithic. Some places are. But let's say you are in a, for example, a diverse school area, like just based on the demographic. Oh, we can talk area. about that. You know, I just want a quick question. Quick question. Let me, let me get the question out. And I just want to get an answer before I let you go. So in, in the event of that, if the parents are, in, in this case, they have a misunderstanding of CRT in most cases, and if they have this misunderstanding and saying, well, I don't want the truth taught, then you're saying that's okay too? I just want to get a quick answer to that. Just make it as quick as possible. Well, there's two sides to two stories. I, I, I emailed you an article on Amer- Chinese American parents condemn critical race theory. In the story... One of the bullet points, it says this, all blacks are oppressed and all whites are oppressor. This is, and here that word is, the vocabulary, systemic. Never ask whether oppression occurred, only how it occurred. Everyone and everything white is complicit. I don't want my children to be learning that. Teach your children that. Like you said, at the grassroots of churches, it can't be in the public schools. Some public school rooms are diverse. You got Bosnian and Serbians who have warred against each other. So how do you okay, handle that? You in, got Somali. I want to jump in. You, 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 you gave your point to CRT. You didn't answer my question, but we only got a couple of minutes. But thanks a lot, brother. Hey, I told you it's too. All right, I got, got, got to let you go. Got a little few minutes. At least I'm going to let you get a last thought here. Um, again, thank you for just kind of filling in here for the last half. half um, Shelly had to get off, so that was perfect timing. Again, appreciate you for being a member of the Mr. Dialogue Community Club. Um, but we got two and a half minutes, so if you want to give a, a quick thought as well as even share any public information because of the work you do, if you want to share that as well, please do it now. Thanks, Natalia. One of the most lackluster components of diversity, equity, and inclusion, anti-racism, critical race theory, training, any of it, whatever label you want to put on it, one of the most lackluster components is diversity of thought. And in diversity of thought, we get an opportunity to realize that people receive, perceive, and project things differently. We, We get an opportunity to see that even in our own worldview, our own experience view, that diversity of thought is really not being addressed. And if we begin even in our homes to teach children about diversity of thought, it's so much easier for us to understand the need to have factual context when it comes to what happened in our history. And it is factual that if you continue to forget about history, you are going to probably repeat it. And, and and how are you going to repeat that and who is going to be impacted? I understand people feeling like they don't want people to, to have their kids feel terrible about themselves. And that's correct. They should not feel terrible. No one should ever leave this feeling like I'm a horrible person because I'm white. But subsequently, black folks shouldn't have to walk around feeling like I'm a horrible person because I'm black either. We have to do better from a diversity of thought perspective. We have to put more thought into it and, and, and really stand up as humans 
and not attack one another, the ones who are impacted day to day, but we got to stand up and look at what these politicians, what their agenda really is behind this stuff. And there are politicians on school boards just like there are in this, in, the, in Congress. So that's my last thought on that is, is that we have to stand up, do more, learn more for your doggone self, for your children, and also have the diversity of thought and realization that, yes, some stuff simply was ugly, but what are you and I going to do about it now? How are we going to work through it now? And if anyone wants no, to get absolutely. in touch with me, you can check out my web, my website, no, A-Word and the company. AWordandCompany.com is my website, and on social media, I am Ms. Word. Thank you so much for this time and for, for your great guests that you had. Uh, thanks a lot. 904, we are at the end of the show. Can't get to you. Latrice, wonderful conversation. Uh, ultimately, what we're witnessing is a pushback against systemic racism called critical race theory. They're not the same, and there's a pushback to not discuss it, but I think discussing it is the chance to root out the things that go on that are not limited to how we individually act. I think we often see, unfortunately, pushback even by the woke crowd, if you will, about a bunch of individual acts that um, this quote, I think, is the best one that sums up what we've experienced today. I've shared it before by Stokely Carmichael. says, if a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. If he's got the power to lynch me, that's my problem. Racism is not a question of attitude. It is a question of power. So just know that this pushback that we're seeing is in reference to not talking about systemic stuff versus the individual, how we feel. Those are just disguises for what you just heard in that quote. Thank you, Latrice. We got to go. We'll see you all next Saturday.